0: Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Thank you for being here today for this episode of Move Like This. I am excited to be talking to one of my favorite people and a role model for many in the profession, Angie Grissom. For more than 20 years, she has been with Rainmaker Companies and its owner and CEO for the last 10. And her day-to-day work includes helping firms develop growth strategy. She provides business development training and coaching and develops strategic alliances. And she is consistently recognized as one of the most influential people in a, the accounting industry. And I'm honored to call her a friend. So
1: thank you so much for being here, Angie. Thank you, Bonnie. That was a that was a great introduction. I feel the same way about you. So thanks for having me on today. This is definitely an important topic that you and I talk about a lot. And so I'm I'm glad we're doing this. It's great.
0: Yeah. We're here to kind of talk about the whole idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And obviously, that's something that MOVE focuses on. But I'd love to kind of hear in your words what DEI means to you and why you think it's important for firms to consider this as part of their
1: strategy. Absolutely. Well, I am all about people. I love people. And I am all about empowering people and really think that cultures should focus on that, should provide meaningful work for people. And I think what happens um, in a lot of industries is there are sort of invisible lines that are set and barriers that are set depending on background or gender or preference and things like that. And it, it removes the opportunity to empower a lot of people. So for me, DEI is about opening up Really just our perspective of how we're going into relationships, how we perceive people, invisible barriers that we create because we're not aware of of that. And so I'm really passionate about the topic of, of DEI and just people in general. And um, I think it's important for firms because it's, it should be important for everybody. And I think sometimes you're not aware of something until somebody brings it to your attention. And I think that's what's going on in our profession. And I'll tell you, it's an incredible profession. And we have so many challenges right now, just like others, but challenges in terms of just staffing and talent shortages mm. and, and also Um, the iceberg is melting and, and our talent is looking for more interesting work. And so it's really the perfect opportunity for firms to really open up and look at additional people and additional opportunities to include people and grow and take a hard look at who they're attracting, who they're not attracting and who they're supporting, because you know, it's about feeling connected. And I think it can be sort of a topic that people shy away from. And you and I've talked about this before because you don't want to say the wrong thing, right? You don't you don't want to offend anybody, but I think it's a topic that we we all need to talk about. It really impacts everybody. So I think it's I think it's timely, yeah.
0: And you mentioned attracting people. But I think also equally important is the idea of retaining people, which is there where that idea of creating an inclusive culture or that sense of belonging happens. And right now, more so even than attracting is retaining people. And part of that is creating an atmosphere for them where they feel like they are taken seriously and where they can be their true selves and where they have opportunities
1: you know, I agree with that. And and even the firms that have invested time, people, energy um, initiatives in DEI have struggled with the retention piece because in, in the feedback that they get is, yes, you made it attractive to come work, but I didn't feel connected. I didn't feel supported. I felt, you know, isolated. And I think that, um, I think that's as big of a part as anything.
0: Well, when I'm talking to firms, they're consistently saying that they f- that finding and retaining talent, of course, is their biggest issue. But what ways do you think that a DEI mindset can help alleviate or lessen this problem for firms? I know we kind of talked about that a little bit, but mm-hmm. having that as part of I guess your process and what it is, the systems that you set up within your firm.
1: Again, I think it's, it's timely because um, finding and retaining client is critical. We are in a people business as, as we talk about. And I think that um, just having the mindset should translate into a firm priority which should translate to strategy and tactical implementation. I, I'm a big strategic plan uh, lover. And um, and I think that when you have a mindset, it, it can um, result in behavior change. And I would say it opens up your opportunity to recruit more people and more perspectives. And I'll tell you that the buyer, the future buyer looks different than it did in the past. I mean, you have more females. You have people that have very diverse backgrounds. You have people that are you know, from different religi- religious backgrounds in different places. And if all of our people look the same, then we're not going to be able to relate um, to those new buyers as advisors. So I think it, op- it opens up the opportunity for business development, for client service, for empowering people and building firms. And I think those that don't focus on it are going to lose out to those that do. So I I think it impacts every single area.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Your work focuses on helping firms and practices within those firms and individuals. I love the three steps of your um, entire strategy. But with the talent shortage that we, of course, we just talked about, some firms are pulling back on their business development and marketing activities. So... Being that I wear a marketing hat half of the time, and I know you wear a business development and marketing hat all the time, what do you think firms should be focusing on in terms of growth? And why is pulling back now a strategy that's going to backfire over time?
1: A couple of things. Luckily, knock on wood, I have not experienced that they're pulling back in those initiatives. We we have grown more in the last year than in several years combined. The growth is rapid. Firms are really stepping up and paying attention to um, the opportunity uh, to train their people in business development and leadership and culture. So we are seeing a a major rise in that. And I think the reason that we're seeing it in some of the firms we're working with is because back in 2008, when people did really pull back, Mm -hmm. a lot of people pull back in every area, the areas that they thought were easy to pull back on the marketing and the BD bit them and they saw it and they saw it later. And those that did not had record years and those that did did not. So so you saw it coming. You even saw it in COVID, in the pandemic, where a lot of people just hit pause for six months or a year and they lost out on a lot of opportunities. And some firms, a lot of our clients had the best year ever. So I would say um, I haven't seen the pullback yet. Thank goodness. It could just be the firms that we're working with. But Business development and marketing are the lifeblood of a business, just like the people. And they should focus on nurturing and developing their people all day long, creating an inclusive culture, listening to their people you know what do they want to be known for that's one of the things we teach how many people have ever been asked to determine what your brand is not a lot right and so w- one of the things we say to to our up and coming leaders and even our established leaders is how do you want to be known Oh you want to be you want to be a healthcare advisor you want to be known as the go-to person you want to be known as somebody who listens and and gives great advice internally well when you determine how you want to be known that again dictates what you invest in firm leaders need to know that information firm leaders need to ask their people how do you want to be known what is fulfilling for you what what is your favorite thing about working here? What are if you were managing partner, what are two things you would you would immediately change, and just allow opportunities for feedback because all day long you can say if you're uncomfortable or you don't feel supported, our door is open. But honestly, if they don't feel comfortable or they don't have a trust level going to you and saying, you know what, I don't feel I don't feel included here, or you're giving me crap work and I want advisory work. Then they're they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. So many leaders have had the conversation trying to talk people into staying that are resigning. I'm hearing that all the time. So and so is resigning, and and I'm trying to talk them into staying, and I'm telling them that that they can have X and Y and have a hybrid environment. And I'm saying, why didn't you say it before? So being proactive with your team and number one, understanding how they want to be known, ask them the question, let them process what kind of work do they want to work on. Right. And just being proactive and saying, hey, if you run into an issue, we have phases in lives, you know, in our lives. We, you know, we're having babies or, you know, moms and dads need to take maternity, paternity leave. We have illnesses. We care for parents. We have a lot of sandwich generation people anticipate that with your people and ask the question and open the door and say you know what we can create something that works for you and it doesn't have to look like it always looked so that's my number one piece of advice because we are in a people business and so understand your people before your competitors do yeah and
0: That goes directly to one of the things that we studied this in 2023 in the MOVE report is the idea of part-time partnerships. And most firms are willing to work with people. You know, like you say, all these things happen in our lives and we may need to pull back or we may need to change our focus a little bit. But what very few of them do is actually put out that kind of thing as a policy so everybody knows it. Yeah. And by not doing that, you know, somebody may not even think to ask the question and may just decide to leave or go to industry or somewhere where there's more flexibility and maybe less hours that have to be worked. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that idea of asking your people what they're interested in, but also putting together policies that allow for that flexibility that show your people that you're willing to work with them.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a call two days ago with a leader that called me um, from a firm and they said, hey, we're seeing some changes, some early retirements. We're seeing some people resign for work-life balance. You know, how do we handle this? And I said exactly what you're saying. Create a role for that. Create a role for those people that want to settle down but still work Mm -hmm. um, and make it okay. Um, whether they're a partner or not, have conversations with them. And I think that not only helps with retention for those people that are looking at transitioning out, and they're not 65 years old, they're younger. But I think it also creates an opportunity for those looking up at the leaders thinking, do I want to work like that? Because, you know, the up and coming leaders um, looking at the current partners and saying, you know what, he did it, she did it, they did it. In a certain way, and the firm made it work, I'm never leaving. I'm never leaving here. And and we have found that there has been so much boomerang activity. You've probably seen it too. Um, a lot of people left during COVID. Everybody was offering everybody a job, you know, and they came back. A lot of them came back to their firms. And now when we're coaching them, they say, Angie, I'll never leave again because they met me where I was and mm-hmm. they they changed the game. They they let me work in a hybrid environment. They let me come to partner meetings with clients and learn how to talk to clients. They they let me work in a niche that I'm interested in. I'm never leaving. And so be proactive about opportunities for different positions. It doesn't look the way it used to. And you know, be proactive about what what your people want and let them know. The door is open, but give them a way to provide feedback that's safe as well, Mm -hmm. so that they truly do give you that feedback. And those are through conversations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things, of course, we focus on is how to attract, recruit, retain, and promote women and people of color. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously more important now than ever when professionals can work from nearly any firm from nearly any location that they want to. And in the 2023 report, we talked about how today's approach to getting client work done is more of a negotiation as employees are more vocal about their preferences, mm-hmm. um, I think particularly Gen Z mm-hmm. um, and what types of work they want to do and that they enjoy and how much they're willing to work. you know, so it's not the firm saying, Angie, this is your job and you're going to do it and you're going to be happy about it and you're going to do it in these hours kind of thing. It's much more of a, let's find a way to serve clients that also serves the individuals and the firm. And are you seeing this in your work with firms? And if so, how is it playing out?
1: A few years ago, Harvard Business Review had a a cover story on it, a cover story on In general, how in order to retain talent, you really need to understand the passions of your people because we all do work that we don't love, but it can't be a majority of our work. Mm -hmm. And so I am seeing people become more vocal for the first time ever when I am coaching people that are 30, 35, 40 they're saying, you know what? I went to my managing partner and I told him that I'm not working more than X hours during busy season because I'm a new dad and, and that's okay. And they're allowing that. Mm-hmm. And so they're drawing a line and saying, this is what I can do. This will this is part of retaining me. That's part of it. But in terms of the kinds of work, that's yeah. the amount of work, the kinds of work I'm seeing more and more of it because, again, I think there's been a bit of a culture shift in a positive way um, since the pandemic where people are leaders are talking to their people and they're saying, what are you passionate about? And you know what? Why don't you shadow Ed and shadow Amy and shadow Jason and see, you know, what, what you're passionate about and give them opportunities and they're able to roll up their sleeves and do work more so in advisory. We recently interviewed a group of three fairly new staff, between three and five years, and they were rock stars. They were like the best, best in class. And we we sat down with them a group of consultants and I asked them the question. I said, hey, what would you, you know, what changes would you make if you were managing partner tomorrow? What what are what are the immediate changes? And they said, we want to do fulfilling work. And, and we don't mind doing some of the grunt work and we know that we've got AI and we've got all of these solutions, but we we think we're more valuable than that early on. And so I'm hearing that firms are paying attention to that and that they are explaining the big picture. You are positioned as a trusted advisor. You, you need to show up that way and use your brain and use critical thinking and, and give fulfilling work and th- that's the trend people people want that kind of work they're you know their college roommates that are in other industries have that kind of work early on and so the trend i'm seeing again it could be the firms we're working with that they're paying attention and they're giving them a choice and the thing that's derailing that a little bit unfortunately is continued turnover because when you have continued turnover you just kind of roll your sleeves up and you do whatever you can do to make it happen. You know, your managers are doing staff level work and on and on, partners are doing manager level work. But if we could get that under control and really focus everybody at every level, at least a little bit on advisory and hear from everybody what their passions are, attention is going to dramatically improve. And this was not really a conversation that was had previous to COVID. I didn't hear this a lot, but I hear it all the time now.
0: Yeah. I'm hearing it a lot from firms too. That And that, like you're saying, those three to five year, the younger staff members are really stepping up and performing work that would, in some cases, be considered above their pay grade or something and killing it. Killing so, it. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to suppress that excitement and that passion. So, give them an opportunity to really shine and to perform at their best. And, you know, you've got your next generation of leaders right there. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, they're, they're defining themselves. And I think that's such a cool opportunity and a cool trend that I think firms are going to really benefit from in the long run.
1: You know, that, and that concept really describes DEI, if you think about it, changing the way that you look at your people, not putting them in a box, not recruiting certain people and putting them in a box and having them do certain work or work a certain number of hours. Again, the business model is changing. And the way that a lot of firms were developing their people, they would fire people that were more consulting and advisory focused in the first three years because technically they weren't checking all the boxes and dotting the I's and crossing the T's, but they were good with people and they could close business, and, and people loved them. And then they try to hire them back, and, and you can't <laughs> later on when you realize, oh, we need to focus on advisory. So if we can take a look at our people, and we can take a look at their skill sets and their passion, that's inclusion. Mm-hmm. That's inclusion, just like all of the other gender, race, background, preference, it doesn't matter. That's what inclusion is about. And those firms, again, that get it are going to grow. And, and I, I'm already seeing it. We're, we're seeing so many diversity roles, chief diversity officer and things like that in firms where people are focusing not only on gender and race, but really the whole experience, the whole employee experience, because it touches everything.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting you say that. I was putting together some diversity training last week and put together a list of all of the things that make us different, all the diverse things that make us who we are. And that list is so long, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, sure. It is certainly race and gender and age and the things that we think about, but it's, you know, our background, how we were raised, you know, where we yeah. were raised all what we've experienced, where we went to college. I mean, if we have dealt with health issues, all these kinds of things, Make us who we are and give us knowledge that we can bring to our jobs and bring to, I think, even more importantly, our relationships with mm-hmm. our clients, with our coworkers, and really create this. I know a lot of times we hear the term melting pot, but I always think it's more of a rich salad. Because it's Mm -hmm. all these different things that make this great meal. You know, we don't want everybody to melt into one thing. Let's just like create this really awesome thing.
1: I love that. It's sort of like a quilt. Scott Moore and our team put a graphic together um, for our trainings talking about group versus team. And. We have a picture of a quilt and, and, you know, the quilt has all these different pieces and it's beautiful when it's pulled together, um, sort of along the same lines. My husband and I were having a conversation, you know, Chad, and we were talking last night about different experiences and um, I'm probably going to write an article at some point about it, but the concept of everybody's measuring cup is a little different came up. So hear me out on this. We were talking about children, for example, and I have um, one of my best friends has a special needs son and she's a single mom and it's really super rough. And then I have friends that have kids that are straight A students and, you know, president of this and that. And and the perspective of what success looks like from one parent's perspective to another is very different. Their measuring cup is different. Even if you have, and and I have two children. So if you have one child that's more of a challenge versus, or a major challenge versus one that's super easy, our measuring cup is now different than it would be if we had two easy children, for example. So I think when you think about people, you have to understand that the worst thing that ever happened to you is still the worst thing that ever happened to you Um, whether it's your cat dying or your entire family dying or you being discriminated against and and that's a that's a piece of it we have to be open and understand that everybody has a different experience and everybody has a different tolerance and a different measuring cup for different things you're going to have increased sensitivity in certain areas and I think there is a lot of increased sensitivity in those people that have been discriminated against. I've experienced it a little bit, not as much as so many people, but a little bit. I was told early in my career that, hey, you're, you're a young blonde girl. You can't be a consultant. You have, to, you have to be male and have gray hair. And I said, no, I don't think that's right. And, and that's just a little bit. But most people, a lot of people have had so many experiences and they come into these situations sensitive to it. And and a lot of people don't understand that because their measuring cup is different, yeah. And so I think just understanding when you put that beautiful salad together or you put that quilt together, you really need to get to know your people, and you really need to hear and listen to your people.
0: Yeah, and everybody's experience is valid too. Oh, you know, yeah. not that one. It's not a competition. It's not like well, I've dealt with this and you haven't, and you know, I see so much of that, and it's everybody's lived their lives. And that's all we can do. Mm-hmm. And the beauty is when we can learn from each other and can support each other. And again, create this team of people that can you know, create a firm of the future. I love it.
1: Just a quick example. Um, sometimes you have to look at yourself in the mirror and you have to determine, none of us think we behave badly. But if you look yourself in the mirror, sometimes you determine. And, and I'll tell you, when I was 24 years old, my father died of a brain tumor, and he died within two weeks of that. It was absolutely devastating. And I remember being at work and a and a coworker lost her dog. Um, and she was devastated for weeks, and it made me angry because I thought, How dare you? How dare you shut down because of the loss when you have no idea what other people deal with? And that's on me. That's on me. And 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 we don't see it that way, but I think. That was the worst thing that ever happened to her. And, and we know how important our dogs are, oh God, um, yes. but you know, um, but I was looking at it from my lens, mm-hmm. not from hers. And I didn't say that to her, but, but I judged that. And so those are the little things that add up that are important. We just have to open it up and take a look in the mirror and say, we all do it in different ways. And we need to take a look at ourselves first before we judge, but take a look at ourselves and then educate our teams on it.
0: Completely agree. Before we get into my little fun closing questions, what would be your top two or three pieces of advice for firms now that we are in 2024? And what, what would you have to say to them?
1: Oh, again, you know, listen to your people. They're incredible and they are here for a reason. They're in your firm for a reason. So take the time, take the time, hit pause, spend an extra five minutes, 10 minutes, hour, go to dinner, understand your people, build that big relationship is number one. Number two, look at your business model and think about what it's going to look like in three to five years and determine how can you open it up? and how can you um, offer more opportunities and more diversity and more inclusion and not just for the sake of diversity and inclusion, but truly because it's the right thing to do and it benefits everybody involved. And I would say, give people an opportunity to do the work that they're passionate about. They will surprise you. The best way to develop a leader is to put them in a position and give them a project and believe in them and support them along the way. Just let go. Let go a little bit. Make people, culture your priority. Let people do the work that they love and support them. That's my my advice.
0: I I hope every single firm out there takes that advice because I it would take a good profession and make it even greater. All right. So uh, completely leaving the accounting profession, I have a couple of little questions here I like to ask at the end because they entertain me. Um, so when you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I think when I was five, I wanted to be an artist mm-hmm. because I loved things that were creative. And- Um, One of the reasons I wanted to go into consulting was because of the creativity of every single account and every single engagement. So I think it was I think it was an artist.
0: Very cool. And if you were given the chance to travel anywhere for free, you didn't have to worry about time off commitments, anything like that. Where would you go and why?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. We have done so much travel. Um, We've expanded globally. And so we have been traveling so much over the past couple of years um, to Europe every few months. And we recently went to Italy and spent a a couple of weeks. It was our first time. That would have been my answer um, earlier this year. We just got back from Ireland and Scotland. Um, We just got back from London. We just got back from Amsterdam, all of those places I wanted to go. And, And I guess the best way to answer that is I like to go somewhere new and explore somewhere new. For example, a few years ago, my husband and I went to um, Australia, and New Zealand, and we went to the South Island. And Bonnie, it was the most beautiful place I've ever seen. And, and the food was different, and the people were different, and the terrain was different. And it, it expands your perspective. Every trip you take, every trip you take, you realize, that we are not the center of the universe and the way that you do things is not necessarily the right way. Um, So I like to go to new places and I'm not sure where that is. There are many, many places we haven't been but I think it sort of supports the whole DEI initiative. The more you know, the more you know, you don't know.
0: Yeah. I am with you on that. And we had plans to travel to Europe last year that got postponed, but we're definitely planning to do a big trip sometime this year. And I, I do. I, I love the meeting people in different places. And I am with you, though. Italy is pretty awesome and I would not be sad if I had to go back.
1: (laughs) You know, we when we, back in 2016, we took our eight-year-old and 16-year-old to China and Japan on a work trip and it changed them. It changed their perspective. And um, I thought that was the best education they could ever get. So I I feel that way about us. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, Yeah,
0: I agree. All right. And finally, if you could have one superpower, what would it be?
1: You know what? It would be to heal people. I have dealt with so much loss in my family, friends. It would be to heal people. I, I cannot stand to see people struggle and suffer. So that would be it.
0: Okay. That is the first time I've heard that answer. And I am sad that it is because that would be brilliant. Uh, oh, I can't it imagine. It would solve a lot of
1: problems. It was yeah, we problems.
0: would. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Well, as always, always have a wonderful time chatting with you, Angie, and appreciate you taking the time and sharing your knowledge and expertise here with the Move Like This audience. And hopefully we
1: can see each other again soon. We will. Bonnie, thank you for having me on. I'm so impressed with the Move Project, the work that you all are doing, what you all have built, all of your work. Um, and I would just encourage anybody listening to take a look and get involved quickly with that uh, because that's where you need to be. Those are the things you need to be looking at and doing. And Bonnie, keep up the good work. It's it's incredible.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Rusick, and until next time, keep moving forward.